Thank you, Brother Jeff. Open your Bibles this morning, please, to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. The Lord Jesus Christ that we read about in the 40th Psalm that I related to you a few words from Hebrews 10, from Revelation 5, that Lord Jesus Christ, no other, that Lord Jesus Christ has sent me as his ambassador to tell you, the citizens of his kingdom, a word of warning and exhortation on how we need to live. And you know that for the last six months it's been my theme for much of the time, and it'll continue to be my theme, because once the Lord has saved us, we need to live for him. Amen. And there is so much against us. Our flesh is against us, the world is against us, and Satan is against us. And the three of them make a conspiracy together to overthrow our faith. Amen. And I pray right now that you'll listen for a few minutes. It's not that long. But I want to appeal to you from the Word of God, and this is the Word of the Lord Jesus Christ to us all. Amen. And let's see if it doesn't fit. But there's a verse here in Ephesians chapter 5 that I would like to use this morning. And it's the 14th verse. Ephesians 5 and verse 14. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Amen. Let me first of all say that you won't find this in the Old Testament because it doesn't say wherefore it is written. It says, Wherefore he saith. Amen. And that will save you from some dilemmas right there. Right. There are some some statements made in the New Testament where it appears that it's something that is written, but when you go look for it, you can't find it. It's because it was preached. But God, by the Holy Spirit, is able to bring even preached words from the Old Testament into the New, and that's what we have here in Ephesians 5.14. Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Now let me just take a minute, because I hope that you're all well established in this that these words were not addressed to the honky-tonk of Ephesus. These words were addressed to the saints and the faithful in Christ Jesus that were at Ephesus, according to the first two verses of the first chapter. These, this verse was addressed to those that had been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, had been accepted in the Beloved, and had an eternal inheritance predestinated for them. They had already believed the gospel and had been given the earnest of that inheritance in the Holy Ghost. Amen. All in chapter 1. Right. Then in chapter 2, of course... They had already been quickened from a state of death and trespasses and sins and had been raised together to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are not dealing with the ungodly. We're not dealing with unbelievers. We're dealing with the saints at Ephesus, and I'm dealing with the saints at Greenville. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ is dealing with the saints at Greenville. Yes. And here's the word of the Lord to us today. Awake. Thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. You can awake. You can arise. And this is something you have to do. He has already resurrected you once. But now it's your turn to shake off the doldrums and to open the eyes and to shake yourself 
to awake out of sleep, to arise from the dead, and he's got a promise. He'll give you light. Right. Now, what light is that? We're simple. And so when we see the word light, we think it's a light bulb. Well, let's see a light bulb. Maybe it means that he'll open the scriptures to me. That isn't what's in Ephesians chapter 5. Let's read a little bit of the context and let our second rule of Bible study show us what it is. And that is to read a verse in its context. Ephesians chapter 5, I'll start at verse 8. For ye were sometimes darkness. Oh, we've got a hint already, don't we? That they were once the opposite of what Christ is going to give them. They were dark, and Christ will give them light. Well, what were they? Ephesians 2 told us that they were dead in trespasses and sins, walking according to the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that works in the children of disobedience. So it's an ungodly life. That's what they were. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. And what is that light but a holy, righteous, godly life, as you'll see as we keep on reading. I just want to tell you as we progress. Walk as children of light. When we were born again, we were given a holy man within us. The new man, according to Colossians, according to Ephesians 4.24, is created in righteousness and true holiness. We have within us a man with your name that is created in righteousness and true holiness. And that's light. We didn't have that before. All we were is filled with darkness and walking in a dark world. But we're to walk that way. We're to walk as children of light. We're to have that new man guiding and directing the way we walk and live, the way we talk and think. Verse 9 tells us in parentheses, remember those parentheses there help you understand something that's been said around the parentheses. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. That is light. That is light. The blessing of the Spirit of God in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Now, if you're walking as children of light in verse 8, verse 10 tells you that you'll be proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. You don't have to wonder what's acceptable unto the Lord. The Bible's already told us, and the Holy Spirit's bearing witness to it inside with these things mentioned in verse 9. But we show it. We prove it to everyone else. We prove it to the world. We manifest it. Verse 11 goes on to say, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, where we once walked, no more darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. It's the light of God's holiness and a spirit-filled life. Do you remember Peter? I know some. I, I think I've given every family in here that CD that has the song on it, Come Follow Me, which is about Peter being called by the Lord Jesus Christ. But remember the first encounter that Peter had with Jesus one-on-one? He was out there on his fishing boat. They had fished all night long and had taken nothing. nothing all night. And Jesus said, Simon, would you cast your nets over one more time? And Simon explained to the Lord, listen, we fished all night long and took nothing. Nevertheless, at thy commandment, I will let down my nets again. Now he had difficulty getting those nets back up, was the problem. He had to call his two partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, over with another boat, 
and there were so many fish, the net was so heavy, that both boats began to sink. Now that's a, that's a take. That's what you call a good fishing trip. And that was not stretched by the imagination of man. That's the record of the Holy Ghost. But that's the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. But what I really want you to notice is as soon as that event happened, and Peter sees both boats are sinking with fish everywhere, he fell down at the feet of Jesus and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He was in the presence of light. And the light was the holiness and goodness of a spirit-filled man like no other man ever, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that all of Peter's wickedness, foolishness, impulsiveness, impetuousness was manifested to his own soul by the presence of Jesus being there. And he said, Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. Well, Jesus said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. But I want you to see what happened. See how it reproved Peter? How it made manifest the darkness that was in Peter? Just being in the presence. And if we would live godly lives, it reproves the world around us by the light, by the holiness and godliness that should be flowing from our lives. We're to walk as children of light. And so when we come down to verse 14, it says, Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. It's what I've been teaching. That as we obey, as we choose to humble ourselves before the mighty God, He will lift us up and fill us with His Spirit and bless us to bear spiritual fruit and to have the strength of the inner man, strength with the inner man by His Spirit, so that we can prove what is acceptable unto the Lord, so that we can bear what verse 9 is talking about, goodness and righteousness and truth. A child of God by being slothfully asleep, by dying, in effect, loses that power. They're wandering through life, discouraged, frustrated, no fruit evident. They're reproving nothing. They're making manifest nothing because the Spirit of God has been quenched and grieved down to a small little flame, and the new man is crushed, and the old man is walking. And we're not to do that. It's the new man that's to be walking. And as we do that, as we make that choice to put on the new man and to put off the old man, that's the way it's worded in Ephesians chapter 4, the Spirit of God will give us that light and that blessing of the presence of the Spirit of God that is a holy and godly life. To make it easier for you, look at 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. What does it mean to awake from the dead? to arise from the dead, to awake from sleep. We could look at a number of passages, but I don't want to do that. I want to, I'll show you one. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, hopefully you all know that in the first 14 verses, or at least from verses 3 to 14, we have widows indeed under consideration. That's the context. But now there's two kinds of widows. There's a widow, and there's a widow indeed. A widow indeed is described in verse 5. Now she that is a widow indeed, and desolate, no husband, no family, trusteth in God, and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day. If we had a widow woman in here that trusted in God and was desolate, 
and spent her days and nights continuing in supplications and prayers, would it be a hardship for anyone to make sure that we supported her? No. I hope that would be one of the greatest blessings we could have. Amen. That's a holy woman. Right. That's a widow indeed. That's a blessed widow. That's a widow we support. But verse 6 describes another kind of a widow. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. She that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. Is that hard for you to understand? No. No? How She's still alive physically, but she's dead spiritually. Is she dead spiritually needing to be born again? No. Oh, no. She's just a widow that's got caught up in pleasure, which we've read is going to be a problem of our generation. Remember 2 Timothy 3? I'm not going to let you forget it. The perilous times of the last days are marked by men being lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. They're going to be marked by having a form of godliness, but denying the power or the authority of what that God has to say about their lives. That is what's wrong with America today. There's lots of churches. There's lots of people assembling today. There's lots of books, conferences, tapes, seminars, videos, and all sorts of an information explosion, including a religious information explosion. But they have a form of godliness without the power in it. And here's a woman that says she liveth in pleasure, is dead while she liveth. We've got a widow in the Christian church that day and night is praying and supplicating for the saints of God. And she trusts in God. Then we've got a widow who's living for pleasure. And she's not to be supported. She can fend for herself, according to 1 Timothy chapter 5. But now when we look at Ephesians 4 and it says, Arise from the dead, and awake thou that sleepest, that's what it's talking about. Us being lulled to sleep, lulled into a state of spiritual death, by not living with the Lord, not living by His strength, not living for Him. In Psalm 40, we read it earlier today. Lord, I waited patiently for you. You inclined yourself to me. You pulled me out of that miry clay. That's that death. And you put my feet on a rock. You established my goings. And my goings were in the spirit of the living God. And you put a song in my mouth. That's a very different person. I'm sure that widow did some singing between her supplicating. Because people that are filled with the spirit, the Bible tells us, tend toward singing Ephesians chapter 5 just a couple verses later where it tells us that. Brethren, a couple weeks ago I preached to you about our glorious adoption. That the God of heaven came down and looked into the orphanage of sinful man. And when he looked there for to see if there were any that did understand that this was the living God at the window and they could be his children, there was none that sought him. There was none that understood. They all spat on the glass and turned away. They have all gone out of the way, remember, and he adopted us anyway. And not only did he adopt us, he changed our natures so that we'd get along perfectly with him. Right. Glorious. You know, everyone that adopts wonders if the nature of that of the child they adopted will ever be compatible to where they'll get along. Well, the Lord made sure of that. He gave us a new nature. And you know, when a child's adopted, he has to wait for the death of the one that's doing the adopting in order to fully receive the inheritance. But our God sent Jesus Christ, who's already died for us, so that we can receive the eternal inheritance. And what do we receive? But we receive God himself. 
We want to go to heaven to be with God, to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, not to walk streets of gold, but to be with Him. That adoption, brethren, is pointed out to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where we're told that if we'll come out from among the, this world and be separate and touch not the unclean thing, I will receive you and I will be to you a father and ye shall be to me my sons and daughters. But the next chapter goes right on and it says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Amen. That is the goal for the church of Greenville. Right. That is the passion of your pastor for all of us to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit and to perfect holiness in the fear of God. That is what he has saved us for and left us here for, to live holy lives. But we fall asleep, we fall into a state of death while we're living in pleasure, and we need to be revived. I want to preach to you today a message about personal revival because that's what we all need. We need it frequently. Because we fall asleep, and we need to be revived again. We fall into a state of death, we need to be revived again. Human nature is pitiful. We just looked at Psalm 40 and saw the Lord Jesus Christ approaching the throne of God Almighty and taking a book out of His hands, and it's the most glorious picture that could be drawn by human words. And yet, we can hear those words, Our minds can be distracted and we can forget about them in a few minutes. It's part of human nature. Marriage shows us that, doesn't it? When two people are dating, the passion they have for each other and the obsession they have for spending time with each other is almost insatiable. But then after they get married, it only takes a few days, weeks, maybe sometimes hours, and, and it's over. And they've settled into the rut. I know, we hate those words. The drudgery of married life. It becomes a uh, process. It becomes a partnership. It becomes work. When prior to marriage, it was this incredible passion. It happens that way with a business. Someone will open a business. In the beginning, they're filled with vigor in executing their business plan. They keep their shop tip-top shape. But a few years go by, things fall into disrepair, And the first time you don't repair something, it's so much easier to let the second thing go. And you lose your focus on your business. And pretty soon, your business slides because that original focus isn't there anymore. It's human nature. Watch a man with a heart attack. When a man gets a heart attack, he'll be reading books like the Pritikin Diet. The Pritikin Diet is something like unsalted, V8 juice, and pita bread. I mean, it's something a little lower than what they served in the camps in Russia. He'll be be watching his diet. Everything will be so careful because he's had a heart attack. The heart attack has brought before his eyes the possibility of death, and therefore I ought to be so sober and serious about my life. So he modifies his diet, takes up an exercise program, but I want to tell you something about human nature. If he can make it a month without any angina, out come the chips and the salsa. Because we forget. It doesn't matter who you're thinking about. 
You can think about anyone. It applies to everyone. That's the way it is. How many people have started New Year's with a great resolution that they're going to exercise faithfully for the coming year? And by February 1st, they're couch potatoes again. It's human nature. And we're still stuck with that human nature, and I wish we weren't. That's why the older we get, if we're wise, we want to leave this earth where we can just have one nature. And that's a spiritual nature that wants to worship God every day. We slip back into our old habits. We slip back and let the world draw us away. That's how we fall asleep. It's part of nature. It happens all the time. You know, I have all these sons. I, I watched my, my fourth son. You, got, you can figure that out if you're awake this morning, which with this text, I hope you are. But my fourth son, I watched him get his license. No, my fourth child, my third son. See, maybe I'm not. I am. My third son, I watched him get his license. Remember 10 and 2? Both hands should be on the steering wheel at the 10 position, the 2 position. Driving ever so carefully and so defensively, I mean, that foot would go to the brake with the sign of a car in his lane, even in the distance. Right. I was thinking to myself, well, after my first three, this fourth child is going to be a safe driver. The first three were not. I mean, they they jumped right in there from day one and thought they were on a racetrack. But this, this fourth child, day after day goes by, and every day was a little faster, a little faster, a little faster, until now when I look out the window when he's leaving the subdivision, I think he's on a carrier and he's in a rocket sled. I, how does that happen? It happens with the function of time and losing sight of the danger of driving. When he's first behind the wheel, it's scary. When the man first has the heart attack, he's afraid. And brethren, the Lord has saved us. And there are times when we are convicted by the Lord, and we feel it in our hearts, and we know that we ought to be living more for Him, and we let those moments slip, and we walk back out of here, and we are tempted by the world, and we slip right back into our state of sleep. There's one goal for all of us, and that's to be living a vibrant, spirit-filled life of holiness and fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ every single day with a song in our heart, Psalm 40 and verse 3, flowing from our lips, saying, The Lord be magnified continually, because that's what we're thinking all the time. Looking like children of light, walking like children of light, but we get caught up in the pleasures of this world and we fall right into the contemporary Christianity or the carnal Christianity that we so much dread from 2 Timothy chapter 3. And so the word of God to you and the word of God to me this day is, Awake, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. If you feel yourself in spiritual doldrums this morning, awake. It's a choice. Wake up. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you the power to live by his Holy Spirit. And that's what we want. Brethren, have you ever read the book of Judges? Do you know what I'm talking about when I say human nature is such that God would deliver them? And as soon as he would deliver them and they would have prosperity again, guess what they would do? Forget God. And then he would have to bring another nation in, pound them into oblivion, practically, until they would humble themselves and repent. Then he would deliver them, grant them prosperity, and they would forget about them. The book of Judges is just this, but it's there for a reason, brethren. Amen. It's there for a reason. 
Ever been down there? Down here? We need to be on a plane toward heaven. But it's difficult. And so that's why we have preaching. That's why we have an assembly like this. For us to be reminded by the word of God, these were good people at Ephesus. Go read Revelation chapter 2. Great church. Paul spent three years there. If Paul spent three years in a church, you know it was a good church. But they needed to hear, Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead. And so do we. There's three ways you're going to live tomorrow. If the Lord Jesus Christ tarries and gives you tomorrow, there's three ways you're going to live it. You're going to live it believing there is no God and living for yourself. That's a consistent position. God respects that man. There is no God, and I'm going to live for myself. Or you're going to live tomorrow or today. There is a God, as the Bible describes, and I'm going to live all out for him. Now, that's the man the Lord loves. That's the blessed man of Psalm 1. That's the man and that's the woman that we all want to be. Then there's that other position that the Lord hates the most of all. The one that says there is a God, just like the Bible describes. I believe that. But then you go out of here and you live for yourself. It's what I call the third assumption. They're all living by faith. The man that says there's no God, he's living by more faith than I am sometimes. To say that there is no God, when I look outside at the creation and the handiwork of God, I know there's a God. When I look at the Bible, I know there's a God. For the man to say there is not a God and to live like it, he's living by faith. He's making a choice. He's hoping. He's resting on his faith that there isn't a God because if there is, living for himself is not going to serve him well in the end. We can assume there is a God and live for ourselves. We can assume, we can assume there is a God and live for Him. We can assume there is no God and live for ourselves. Those are the three ways people live and you're all going to make that choice. Whether you stop and think about it or not, I don't know. But I'm not going to let you get away from here this morning without thinking about it. You will go out of here and if you say, I know there's a God and I enjoy worshiping Him, but you live for yourself, then you're living the life of a hypocrite. It's called in Revelation chapter 3, a lukewarm approach to serving him, which he spews out of his mouth and is unacceptable. He says, I would you were either cold or hot. That's the other two assumptions. He respects the man who says, there isn't a God and I'm going to live for myself. That's consistent. But he cannot stand us when we say, we sing praises to his name, and we come and assemble, but then we live for ourselves. So my word to you today is, we need to make that choice. And let's make the choice that there is a God and we want to live for him all out. Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee life. Light. You know, Elijah once stood before all of Israel and they had fallen into gross idolatry. Ahab and Jezebel were the king and queen of that nation at that time. And And Elijah said to them, Why halt ye between two opinions? And that's where we get so many times. Do you know where the flesh wants you? Between the two opinions. You know where Satan wants you? Between the two opinions. Satan knows he's not going to get you to sign up with the Hindus this afternoon. Satan wants you between the two opinions. Because that's what God hates. 
He, God does not want to see his saints having lost their first love. And you know that's what I'm talking about. To awake out of your sleep and to arise from the dead is to get that first love back. We've got to do it in marriages. You've got to have renewals in businesses. You've got to have reminders to drive defensively for boys in cars. The Lord doesn't want us halted between two opinions. If Baal's God, then serve him. If the Lord is God, then serve him. That's what the God calls us to do. We, got, we need to make that choice. But I believe there's a God. I believe it thoroughly. I love what we teach and believe in this church. Should we have a round of applause for you? Because I read in James chapter 2 and verse 19 that the devils also believe. And you know how well they believe it? They tremble. They tremble. And I fear that sometimes we don't believe it enough to even tremble. But they tremble because they know there's coming judgment. Do we? Every time they met Jesus Christ, they'd cry out, O thou son of David, art thou come to torment us before our time? They know that judgment is coming. They know Jesus Christ is their Lord and Master. Do we? Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. We cannot reason that God has saved us to enjoy life. God has saved us to enjoy Him. Amen. You go read John 17, 2 and 3, where Jesus Christ is praying to His Heavenly Father and describing the fact that God had given Him power over all flesh to give eternal life to as many as God had given Him. And He says the reason for the salvation that He gives, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. God has not saved us for us to enjoy pleasure or enjoy this life. He has saved us for us to enjoy Him. And for a true child child of God, there is no happiness like enjoying God. I mean communing with Him in His Word. I mean communing with Him in prayer. I mean communing with Him in singing in your homes. I don't mean here. I mean walking with God every day and speaking to Him in your heart and having Him speak to you and loving Him in His Word, loving holiness, and hating wickedness, and being thankful for all the goodness that He showers upon us every single day, seeing the Lord in in everything, the innumerable blessings and the innumerable works of Psalm 40 and verse 5 that we read. That's what He's called us to. But we lose sight of that, because when we go out of here, there's nothing on the radio to help you remember it, there's nothing on the billboards to help you remember it, there's nothing anywhere to help you remember it. We need to awake from sleep and arise from the dead. You know, last Sunday when I preached to you that whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all the glory of God, I'm not really talking about anything different. We want to do all to the glory of God. Look at Philippians chapter 3. I want to show you the Apostle Paul's approach to life. Philippians chapter 3. If we were to take a survey in this assembly... Who was the most faithful Christian saint in the New Testament? Paul. I think we'd I think Paul would win hands down. Outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, it'd be the Apostle Paul, because we would we would remember statements that were given by inspiration of God. That he labored more abundantly than they all, that he was not a whit behind the very chiefest of the apostles, that he had fought a good fight, that he had kept the faith. Those are all great statements about Paul. But I want you to look in Philippians chapter 3 and see Paul's attitude 
toward life. Remember, he's the one that God used to write the words, Awake thou that sleepest. Paul didn't sleep. I remember at the bank, there was a category of older officers at the bank that we said of them they have retired on the job. <laughs> you know, they hadn't retired and moved to Florida. They just retired on the job. They came in every day, but there wasn't exactly very much productivity out of them. And we said of them they'd, re they'd retired on the job. Paul did not retire on the job. <coughs> he kept fighting right till the very end. The last chapter he wrote us was 2 Timothy chapter 4, and he'd just been before Caesar. And everyone else forsook him, but do you think Paul backed down because no one else was there? No way. And he said, the Lord stood with me and delivered me out of the mouth of the lion. 2 Timothy 4, his last chapter to write. But I want you to see in Philippians 3, because brethren, this is what I pray for you. This is what I pray for me. This is what I want for you. And this is what you should want for you. Paul's spirit. Philippians 3, 8. I'm going to read several verses. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul counted everything loss to know Jesus Christ. Amen. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. He wanted to please Jesus Christ and win Jesus Christ. And be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him. Look at Paul's heart. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. These are the things that Paul understood he needed to be doing to guarantee that he would attain to the resurrection of the dead. And we should be having this same attitude. If you fall short of this attitude here, you must question whether you'll be in the resurrection of the dead. That is the resurrection of life. But I, I want to move on. Look at, look at how Paul now. Not as though I had already attained. Either were already perfect. But I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, he's speaking to us. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus." That is what I want for all of you. Amen. That is what I want for me. It is not enough that he has saved us. It is not enough that we have learned the truth of our salvation. It is now our goal to win Christ. Right. To seek him, to know him, to pursue him. The Apostle Paul would say, I have not attained. When I look at Paul, he attained. When you look at Paul... Doesn't look like a man who has attained the Christian walk. Yeah. But Paul said, I haven't. Right. He said, I continue to press forward. I don't count myself to have apprehended. 
And so what I want to say to you from the Word of God this morning and from the Lord Jesus Christ, I hope there is no one here this morning that is thinking in any terms of complacency or contentment that you have apprehended what you're supposed to be seeking because you haven't. Because if Paul hadn't, we truly haven't. So we've got to press on. And that pressing is despising the world, denying ourselves an ungodly lust, cleansing ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh, putting pleasure way down the list of priorities, and putting Christ at the top and seeking Him to know Him. He pressed toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's what we've got to be pressing for. Now, can a sleeping person press? No. Can a dead person press? No. Awake, brethren. Every one of us needs this sermon. Amen. I need it. Amen. Awake, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. I want to tell you this morning how to do it. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5, please read this verse again with me. I talk to some of you on a regular basis, and I know the struggles of your hearts. The same struggle that I have, no different, of wanting to walk with the Lord with a fresh, vibrant, spirit-filled, powerful, victorious life every day. How do we get it? How do we awake from sleep? How do we arise from the dead? I want to show you the simplest verse, and I've shown you this recently, but I want to show it to you again. Revelation 2.5. Remember, this is the church at Ephesus a few years later, and they had lost their first love. And so we read the corrective remedy for the church at Ephesus in the fifth verse. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. For any of you that know in your hearts that you are asleep, that you're dull, that you're cold, that you're almost dead, that pleasure's been too big of a part of your life, that you don't love the Lord Jesus Christ like you should, that you don't love righteousness like you should, that you don't crave singing, that you don't crave His Word, that you don't enjoy prayer, because a Spirit-filled man is going to have all those things, and you know that you don't. I know those feelings. Trust me. Here's what you do about it right here. This is the loss of first love. This works in marriages and anything else. This will work in business. But we don't care about business, and we don't really care about marriages either right now. What I care about is your marriage to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Remember three things from this verse. Remember, repent, and do the first works. Remember, repent, and and do the first works. That's what he said. That's the that's the remedy. Revelation two five. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. God asks us to do some self examination and to remember where we've been in the past and are we there now. Remember from where you have fallen. You know we sing that song. I think it's number forty two in the other hymnal. As thirst the heart for water brooks. So thirst my soul, O God, for thee. And one of those verses in there, which is taken from the 42nd Psalm. I don't think it's number 42. It's Psalm 42. It's taken from Psalm 42, where the psalmist wrote, 
I remember days gone by when I went to the Holy Assembly with great rejoicing in my heart, and he knows he doesn't have it right now. The psalmist said that. That's comforting. That's comforting that the psalmist was a little bit asleep too. But I see that he's doing something about it in Psalm 42. He's saying, why art thou cast down, O my soul? He's doing some remembering, and he's doing some self-chastening. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Hope thou in God. He shall yet restore the life of thy countenance, or something of that effect there in the 42nd Psalm. That is remembering from whence thou art fallen. I read in 2 Peter chapter 1 that if we are not diligent in bringing forth the fruit of faith, virtue, knowledge, brotherly kindness, charity, if we're not doing those things, then we have forgotten that we were purged from our old sins. And it's easy to forget that the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins. What else matters in the world? Nothing. When you meet Him, nothing else is going to matter. And I'm here early to tell you about it. When we meet Him, nothing is going to matter except that He died for our sins. And we live sometimes as if we have forgotten that because the things of this world creep up in their importance. Some, the man with the heart attack starts eating chips and salsa and ice cream because he has forgotten that he just had heart surgery. It has slipped out of his memory. It's human nature. But we cannot let that happen to us. And so the first thing we've got to do is remember from whence thou art fallen. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's the first thing we do is some self-examination. And those words were from Psalm 139, the last two verses. That's how David prayed. And if David needed to pray that way, I think we should pray that way often. Remember from whence thou art fallen. And then it says to repent. And to repent means to look into your life while you're remembering and see things that you've allowed to creep in that have choked the word of God, that are stealing your time, that are stealing your soul, that are stealing your affections. And you repent of them. You tell God, I am wrong for having these things in my life. These things are wrong where I've allowed them to exist in my life. They're out of here. That's repentance. You know, some people look at a broken heart and they want to know, how do I have a broken heart? A broken heart is this simple. I'm wrong. That's what men won't do. A broken heart is a sacrifice that's well-pleasing to God. You can have it that simply. Just say, I am wrong. It is so hard for the human heart to ever say that. I am wrong. And to turn from it and to throw it out. Repent. You know, there's so much comfort for those that repent. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I can read over in Psalm 32 and verse 5 that David said, I acknowledged my sin and thou forgavest me the iniquity of my heart. What a glorious comfort. Repent. Throw it out of your life. Turn from it. That's what repentance is. To turn from it and to turn into God and to confess your sins. And the the remedy is right here for us in Revelation 2.5. This is how we awake out of sleep. This is how we arise from the dead. And Christ will give us light. Do the first works. You know, if a husband was to ever to do the first works of what he used to do when he first met his wife before she was his wife, their marriage would have a revival. If the wife 
were to do the first works of the creative special little things she used to do for him when they were dating, their marriage would have a revival. If in a business setting, you go back and you do the first things that you were there, you know, you first came in at 7 a.m. And you were usually there early to make the rest, make sure the rest of the employees were there. But a few years later, you're coming in at 8.15. It's human nature. But if you were to just do the first works, the business would have a revival. Here's what happens. The person in the marriage and the person in the business says to themselves, self, I don't have the feelings that I once had, so I don't see how I can do the first works. I don't have the same level of zeal. You tell a married couple that's been married 20, 30, 40 years, go back and do the first works and you'll have a revival. Oh, we were just silly teenagers back then. Oh, no, you were in love back then. I was just a a dumb business owner back then. Oh, no, you were a zealous young business owner that knew if you didn't work very hard, you'd fail. We need to go back to that. And when it comes to our Christian life, we need to go back to those times that we've known that we've had where our hearts were filled with love for Christ, love for His Word, We need to go back to them and do the first works of what we did back then or of what the Bible tells us that people do in their first works. We couldn't hear enough of the Word of God. We couldn't read enough of it. We could pray anytime, anywhere. Prayer was not a burden. Prayer was a pleasure. We love to sing. We love to be with God's saints. And if we would do all of those things, Christ will give you light. That is to awake out of sleep and to arise from the dead. The remedy is in Revelation 2.5. What are the first works? You know, it's to seek Christ's kingdom first. And we did that when we were first saved. We did that when we first saw the truth. There was great zeal. But we ebb and flow. And we need to revive by humbling ourselves before God. We cannot be a friend of this world. If we're a friend of this world, we're the enemy of God. You cannot serve them both. No man can serve two masters. We have to choose to serve one master and to humble ourselves before God. And the Bible says, if we will humble ourselves beneath the mighty hand of God, he will lift us up. James chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 5, and if we draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to us. When you are in the flesh, when you're asleep, and I've said this before, but it's so simple. But it's so hard to apply. When you're in bed in the morning, it is hard to think about working. You've got to take the first step. And the first step is get out of the sack and hit the deck. And as soon as you hit the deck and get some water in your face, you all of a sudden start feeling a lot more like doing something. But you can't wait. You can't lay in bed and wait for the feelings of energy to propel you out of the sack. It doesn't work that way. I think I know what I'm talking about. It's a choice. And so when you're in the flesh and you hear what I'm saying, that's been so long, it's so hard, your senses are dulled. Your spiritual senses are dulled. And when I talk about frequent prayer, easy prayer, pleasurable prayer, singing, seeking God, reading His Word, communing with Him, rejoicing in Him, and I'm talking about private worship. I am not talking about here. 
I am talking about the day-to-day life of a child of God that loves his Savior and loves God. When I talk about that, when you're asleep, it sounds horrible. It sounds too hard. It sounds too far away. sounds too difficult. So by faith, you have to do the first works. By faith, you do the first works. The first time, you've got to get down on your knees and pray and beg God for His Holy Spirit and beg God for revival and beg God for a blessing. That's what we read in Psalm 40. Oh my God, do not tarry in that last verse. The psalmist prayed for that many times. Remember, repent, and do the first works. Do you remember our King Asa? that we looked at many months ago, Second Chronicles chapter 15. He came back from that great victory that God had given him, and the prophet came out and said to him, Asa, if you seek him, you'll find him. Right. But if you turn from him, he's going to leave you forever. And Asa was one of those kings, one of the few kings that got serious about a word of a prophet. And he had a revival in Israel like there had never been. He tore that nation upside down, getting everything out of it that he possibly could, repenting, repenting, if you go. And then he did the first works. Even his mother, he deposed from being queen because she was worshiping an idol. And you know what the Bible says? He he made the whole nation swear to a covenant that they would seek the Lord. And the Bible tells us, he was found of them. Yep. Amen. They had a relationship of a whole nation with God like they had not for many generations because a man heard the word of the prophet and he went and did it. And the word of the Lord to you this morning is to go do the first works. When you know that your soul is cold, your soul is sleeping, or your soul is dead because you've been living in pleasure, and you know you're not living for the Lord, go do those first works and the Lord will bless you by his spirit. He promised that awake from the sleep, arise from the dead in Christ, will give you light. You know, a prayer that can be made that's made often in Psalms and Jeremiah is, Lord, turn me and I shall be turned. Right. Now, the unregenerate never makes that prayer. That's a regenerate child of God saying, turn me and I shall be turned. That should be part of that first prayer. That's part of your first work is to pray for God to give you revival. Lord, turn my heart around. That's a godly prayer, and I exhort you to do it. You know, wherever we need to make reconciliation or restitution, do it. These are the rules that God gives on how to awake out of sleep. You know, I can tell you in the morning, put the alarm clock across the room so that you have to get up to shut the stupid thing off. It'll force you to get out of bed. Put some water in your face. There's rules to help get to work on time and to get there as a ball of fire. But when it comes to the Lord, he's also got his rules. If you've got anything in your life that needs to be taken care of, then get it out of the way. I remember a little short man named Zacchaeus who climbed up into the sycamore tree to see the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he came down, the whole crowd was murmuring that Jesus was going to go to that publican's, that tax collector's house, that traitor to the nation, and have dinner with him. And Zacchaeus heard that murmuring, and he saw the Lord Jesus Christ, and he made a choice. He said, Lord, if I've wronged any man, I'll restore fourfold. And Lord, 
I'm going to sell half of what I have and give to the poor. Now, that's serious first works. And Jesus Christ said to that man, Today salvation has come to this house. Those are the first works we've got to do. Whatever you've got in your life that needs to be cleaned up, clean it up. If it's something you love dearly, then pluck out your right eye. That's what the Savior would say. If it's something that's very practical, cut off your right hand. That's what the Savior would say. And Christ will give you light. If you feel like you're walking in darkness, remember, repent, do the first works, clean out your life, be an Asa, and have a revival in the nation of your own heart. And brethren, we've got to use each other. Do you know why we assembled last night? Now, we had one purpose, but we also wanted to be together. Amen. And I got an email last night when I got, oh, no, I didn't get it till this morning because this brother was up late last night. But he said we need to get together more often because there is strength in why we assemble. Why did, listen, the Lord could have left us his word and he could have had the apostles invent the audio cassette player. Yep. That would have been not difficult for him. But he wants us to assemble for a reason. Amen. Hebrews 10.25 tells us not to forsake the assembling. But I don't like going into that passage for that little phrase. I like going into that passage for why we do assemble. So that we hold our faith steadfast without wavering. And that we exhort one another and provoke one another unto love and to good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 tells us why we assemble. It's not just to hear me. God help us. There's much more to it than that. It's for us to encourage each other and to provoke each other in love and good works. And if you want a revival, you use the means of God's saints to keep you thinking spiritual things and seeking the Lord. That's the purpose of the New Testament church. And we can't make any provision for the flesh, brethren. You know, I said pluck out the eye, cut off the hand. Whatever there is that creeps into our lives that we know has a hold on us, that tempts us, that pulls us away from Christ, we've got to sweep it out and keep it out. Remember, repent, do the first works, and seek the Lord, and He'll be found. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh unto you. That's a promise of Scripture. When our souls are drying and withering up and we feel cold and it happens, it's going to happen. It's the flesh. It's our painful lot until we're out of this world. But when it happens, brethren, we've got to remember where we were. We've got to repent. Do those first works and seek him afresh. And every minute that you delay, every minute that you delay, it becomes more difficult. That's human nature also. Don't delay. I read over there in Psalm 119. I think it's about verse, I think it's verse 60, where the psalmist said, I delayed not to keep thy commandments, but I made haste. When you ever sit in an assembly and you hear anything that strikes a chord in your heart that I need to be doing better, I should be doing better, I'm somewhat asleep. Whenever you sense that, know that, that you're being spoken to by God, you run to the mountains. You run to Him. Run to Him. Because He does not do that forever. He has not promised that He will do that forever. When the omnipotent, sovereign God of this universe takes the time 
and makes the effort to come and speak to your soul and you feel those movements of conviction in your new man, obey them. Obey them, brethren. Don't ignore them. This past week, reading some about the predestinating work of God, Jesus told the Jews of his day, if the mighty works that had been done in Tyre and Sidon had been done here, no, if the mighty works that had been done here had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. That whole passage is teaching that God deals very sovereignly with men. And some men, he doesn't give them any means to repent. But other men, he does give means. And when we have a taste that the Lord is speaking to us, brethren, fly to him and humble yourself and seek him and he will be found. You know, the Bible tells us that Ahab, when he heard the word of God, that he was, that God was going to judge his family, even Ahab got into sackcloth and walked delicately and humbled himself before the Lord. And the Lord came and told Elijah, even Ahab has repented, and I'm not going to do the evil in his day. Ahab. Now, brethren, if Ahab can find mercy of the Lord, we surely can. Amen. No sinner has ever been rejected from the feet of Jesus Christ. No sinner. You know, Simon the Pharisee once took Jesus home for dinner, and a well-known sinner of that city came into that place, weeping, and came to the feet of Jesus and washed his feet with the tears of her eyes and wiped his feet with her hairs. And Simon was sitting there thinking his arrogant thoughts of, if Jesus were a prophet, he'd know that this woman was a great sinner. Well, Jesus did know she was a great sinner. But Jesus loves great sinners. And he especially loves great sinners when they're at his feet. And that's where we need to be. That woman was not rejected. Jesus Christ rose up at that dinner and called Simon down in front of them all and said, Simon, when I came in here, you didn't even give me water for my feet. But this woman hasn't stopped since I arrived to wash my feet with the tears of her eyes and her kisses. And he said, Simon, who do you think loves the most? The one that's been forgiven the most or the one that's been forgiven the least? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're cold this morning, if you're dead this morning, if you're asleep this morning, flee to him. Amen. He's got forgiveness and mercy abundant. Right. And he's got light. Christ shall give thee light and strength for your life. Brethren, he's able to put a new song into your mouth and to put your feet upon a rock and to establish your goings. What I've described today is what we've got to do for the rest of our lives. He has not guaranteed that strength for the rest of your life. Sometimes he takes it away where the psalmist would say, Lord, how long? How long are you going to leave me like this? But he'll come back if we seek him. And remember, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me, heard my cry, set my feet in a rock, pulled me out of the miry clay, put a song in my mouth. Brethren, he can do that for you, and he can do that for me. And if you're sleepy this morning, awake. Arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Amen.